So we're starting a new series today, uh, and the whole goal is in the, in the gospel of John, there's some of these most well-known verses in the world. So John 3, 16, right? But if you blow that up, like what is God doing like globally all over the planet? Then he's saving men and women from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Uh, and so what I want to do through the gospel of John is we're, we're not going to go verse by verse because I think that would take two years. Uh, literally two years of us in here every Sunday going verse by verse. Uh, What we're going to do over the next seven weeks, seven times together, is zoom in on moments where Jesus interacted with men and women uh, that wouldn't believe or couldn't believe or struggling with belief. Uh, And and I want to see how Jesus treated them. Because my hope for this church is we will be so Jesus-focused, so in love with Jesus, so just impossibly like, isn't Jesus amazing? Because he is. And so we're going to spend, we're just going to stare at Jesus. Uh, and I say that idea of believing because that word believing is the theme of the gospel of John. He uses it 99 times in this book, like believing in the name of Jesus, believing that he's the son of God, believing. If you were to go to the end and read it, you would read this in chapter 20. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So all that we're about to study, all that I hope you get in a small group, women's group. Uh, in fact, there's books out there at the front door that you can grab that are devotionals that it's like day one, which is tomorrow, Monday, read chapter one of John. All that you're going to read, all that we're going to study is this whole idea that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that we might believe it, actually believe it. And so, really, my hope is that our eyes would be open to the glory of God, and that's not a statement for non-Christians. That's, you ever realize, like, once you fall in love, that sometimes it's, it's pretty easy to forget when you did or how you did? And so I just want to stare at Jesus for the next few weeks. I want to marvel at how he loves, how he speaks, how he teaches, and, and what he teaches, because I think it's challenging. Uh, and so I'm going to pray for us. And you're like, haven't we prayed a lot? We should pray more. Because what we need to have happen today is not a cognitive thing. It's not an intellectual attesting to something that's true. What we need to happen is that we need the Spirit of God to stir us, open our eyes, illuminate some things, and then push us to be transformed. Like we need God to do a work that you can't do with your physical hands and your will. So let me pray. Then we're going to be in John chapter 3, if you just want to kind of head that way. And then while I'm praying, if you need a Bible, there's some along these walls. There should be underneath most of these lights. Those are for you to take if you don't have a Bible. If you have seven Bibles at home, don't take our Bible. Great. Jesus, as we open up the living word of God, I pray that it would pierce us, convict us, change us. That we would not merely read it, we would live it. And so, Lord, I invite you in to do the hard work this this morning, that you would stir us up, that you would break down what needs to be broken down in us, and that you would lead us in the way everlasting. This is your church bought with your blood. These are your people, and you are the shepherd. And so, Lord, we look to you, tend to our souls, and lead us, us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 3, it starts actually with... Chapter 3 is about a very, 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 very well-known story if you're a Sunday school kid. Sunday school kids, get your, just wait up there proud, man. What's up, right? Sunday school kids, like the story of Nicodemus coming at night, and you're like, I do know that story, all right? And the problem is if you're a church kid, it's really easy to step over the story and miss the profound weight of it. 
and the challenge of it. Because what you were taught in Sunday school is come and memorize enough and don't cuss and don't watch rated R movies and put on your collared shirt for Pete's sake. And then you'll get a gold star. That's not how things work in the kingdom of God. And that's what Nicodemus is about to find out. So if you want a really quick preview, uh, the gospel of John starts with just beautiful revelation of who Jesus is. In the beginning was the word. Go read that this week. That's a challenge to you. You get into the story of John the Baptist, who he was. He's like, I'm not the Christ. There is a guy that's coming. He is the Christ. I can't even untie his sandals. I'm not even worthy to do that, right? And you have this little moment uh, where Jesus uh, makes wine at a wedding. Take that, Baptist. Like, right? So like... It's in there, it's in the Bible. Uh, and then there's a moment where Jesus is doing these signs and these miracles and he kind of withdraws from some people and then he goes in the temple to cleanse him some stuff, like flips some tables and does a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, and then right about then, he's doing all these signs. He's walking around doing miracles. He's teaching with authority. And that is where chapter three picks up, that he's been doing all these things. The Pharisees have taken notice. Nicodemus is one of them. And so chapter three, verse one. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him, all right? So he calls him rabbi, he calls him a teacher and he's coming to him for knowledge because this is the MO of how the Pharisees operate, all right? So the Pharisees, if you don't know, he, or they're, they're the ruling council of the Jews. And not only there in Jerusalem, but all over Jewishness everywhere, all right? There's roughly about 6,000 of them at any one time. And what you'd have to do is you would stand between one or two ministers and you would pledge, I will honor the 10 commandments, the letter of, to the letter. I won't trip up. I'll do it perfectly. So here's, here's the thing about the Ten Commandments. Have you ever read the Ten Commandments? Can you say them right now from memory, Sunday school kid? Just kidding. Don't do it. But number four, do you know what the fourth one is? No one does. Perfect. We've trained you well. Uh, it's remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. All right, so tell me what's that supposed to look like? How do you do that? Like, what, what are the confines for you? And in some sects today, you can't use electricity. You can't do anything. You can't chew. You can't do anything. And so that's what happened back then is they said, okay, here's this commandment from the Lord. We want to honor that. And so there was this, this subsect of Pharisees called the scribes. And what they did is they took the Ten Commandments, and then they started writing down how that would look for the Pharisees. Things like, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. One of those things was you are not allowed on the Sabbath to make mortar. You all know what mortar is? Brick and mortar. You put it between bricks, it sticks together, right? Can't make that. So you're like, okay, that's working, that makes sense. Don't work on the Sabbath, keep it holy. But what the Pharisees did, or what the scribes wrote down was, you can't spit on the ground, on the mud, because if you do, that will make murder. So not only are the Pharisees like not murdering people, which is a big one on the list if you don't know, uh, honoring God above all things, not sleeping with people they're not married to, they're not even spitting on the ground on the Sabbath because they're so disciplined and they honor God fully, all right? See how ridiculous it can get? And there's a lot of these. Like I could just go list after list after list. And here's why I tell you all of this. Nicodemus. 
is unbelievably smart, unbelievably disciplined. Would you agree? A man that's like, stay in there, spit. Got some discipline, all right? And so he's doing all that he knows. He's doing everything he knows to pursue God and to honor God and to love God and do these 10 commandments because that's how I get to God. And he comes to Jesus because he's noticing some power, he's noticing some authority, and he asks him some legitimate questions like, teach me, and then you get to verse two. Uh, And it says, this man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now here's the things with the Pharisees. This is their whole belief system. If all we need is good teaching and good willpower, that will honor God. Sound familiar? Sunday school kid? Sounds familiar to my heart. All I need is good teaching and enough willpower, and I'll honor God. How's that working out for you? How's that working out for you in real life? right? Not in church life where you're smiling going, everything's great. No, like at home, in your day-to-day life, and sin's gripped you, but you're lying about it because you got to look pretty. That's the problem. And so Nicodemus comes, and he expects Jesus to teach him because if he teaches me, then I'll obey it. And since I have enough willpower, I will obey it. And Jesus is about to just like pop his bubble, all right? Uh, Look at Jesus's response in verse 3. And I would say this, if you've read this before, don't just like, what we do is we just turn off our actual mind and heart. Don't do that. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This man is in the scriptures all the time. This this man has obeyed it thoroughly. He watches where he spits. This man has memorized beyond what you and I will ever memorize, all right? So the Pharisees, not only to become a Pharisee, you know what they had to do? Memorize the first five books of the Bible. How you doing? We barely want to read numbers, right? We get halfway through, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Let's go back to, you know, the New Testament. That's fun. Uh, they, had, they had memorized Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, word for word. Jesus is talking to a man that's like, I'm trying. And, and I, truly, I say to you, unless a man be born again, he will not, cannot see the kingdom of God. So here's this thing that he's teaching Nicodemus that does not compute. Where's willpower in that, right? Like, do you feel how impossible that command is to him? Be born again. Do it. Do it. Right? Do you feel that impossibility? It's the same thing with like, hey, I want you to be loving right now. Command yourself to be loving right now. You know how patience works? This is what you do. I am patient. Right? It doesn't work that way. So willpower is taken away from Nicodemus. The ability to just obey his, by discipline, is taken away from Nicodemus. And so he asks the question in verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? 
Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? I, I, don't, I think he's stalling because he's like, I don't know how this works. If you need to know how babies are born, go ask your mom. I'm not telling you. But like, he's actually asking. I, I don't know if it's a legitimate question, but at least like, how's that work? I'm old. You see these wrinkles, Jesus? Like, I've, been, I've been doing this thing for a while. How do I get back in there? And how do I get back out? Right? Like just pure, just if we take it simply is what Jesus said. And so Jesus loves to use symbolism, right? Loves to use symbolism, loves to tell stories. In fact, he gets himself in trouble. At one time in, in the New Testament, he says, uh, I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to rebuild it in three days. When they arrest Jesus, do you know what they accuse him of? He said, he's going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Blasphemer! And he's like, uh, that, No. That wasn't what I meant, all right? So he's, saying this, he's gonna say the same thing to Nicodemus. Is it, you're missing it. I'm not saying get back in mom's womb. I'm saying something drastically new has to come out from what is dead in you. And so remember, but this is Nicodemus's mindset. Nicodemus is going, how do I do life better? He must be saying, I need to, I need to go back and revisit my early days and repent or do this harder work or try harder. That'll be, re, be, be born again, right? But the weight of this text, the weight of the scripture here is the problem's not your lack of knowledge. The problem is not your willpower. The problem is that your collared shirt is not starched enough. No, the, the, the problem is at the very core of who every man and woman on earth is, at our being. There's a, there's a bend in us. And every time we talk about sin, we talk about the fall, I feel like their glaze comes over our eyes. But if we don't understand the problem and we don't understand what Jesus saves us from, we'll never be thankful for it. So very quickly, because of the fall, because of Adam and Eve severing the connection between God Almighty by disobedience, what's bred into me, I was born with a desire for me, I, and mine. And you are too regardless if you can willpower yourself to try to be loving, try to be kind. But when push comes to shove, you'll choose you. You'll choose you. So it's, I want to be in charge. I want to serve myself. I want to be primary. That's, what Adam, that's the path Adam and Eve were on. That's the path I was on prior to Jesus. And so the, this, the Bible is just really clear. And I'll just let the Bible speak because I think that's better. Uh, in Genesis 6, it says, our thoughts are only continually evil. Does that feel fair? Some of you are like, no, I have nice thoughts sometimes. I think the Bible's just putting us like continually compared to the holiness of God and who God is and what he created us for, evil is where I'm shooting. That's what I, that's what I want, that's what I desire. That's why some days it, I, sin entangles me and some days I have to put it to death. And, and then it says in John, all over the book of John, John 3.20, we are lovers of darkness. We feel comfortable there. It's like our home. It's what we were born into. It's what you see all over the world. In, in John 3, 36, that the wrath of God abides on our race. As men and women created by God who have abandoned him and rebelled against him, it, like the wrath of God abides on us. And Paul has a lot to say about this. Just go read the book of Romans. That Romans 1, 21 and 28 says our minds are blinded. Like we can't even see it unless God opens up our eyes, that we are disordered in our emotions, Romans 1.26, that the law of death is at work in our bodily members, Romans 7, 
And then if you get into Ephesians, you get that we are children of wrath. That sounds fun, doesn't it? And so that's why. And I could spend a lot more time on understanding the problem and how this affects us. But this is what I know. We don't like this because we like to think, humanity likes to think, there's something redeeming about me. There's something nice. I mean, God should want me, right? And if you played in a Nicodemus's world and why this matters now is that we come to God with things like, all right, God, I'll tell you what I'll give you. I won't cuss. <laughs> I won't watch rated R movies. Unless it's the passion of the Christ. <laughs> so, uh, uh, just, uh, so I will attend every week. You'll never see me not in church, God. And God's like, I don't want that. I want your heart. I want you. And anytime you're going to try to externally motivate yourself to do these external moral, moral modification of behaviors, that's not what God's after. He's after your heart because what comes out of your heart. That's where your actions come from. That's where your words come from. That's where your nasty thoughts about Suzanne come from. Your heart, your heart, right? And so God knew you must be born again because you can move away, far away from here, and you still have to deal with your heart, and God knows that. And so what we do is we look at God and we try to offer him all kinds of little things so that he might be appeased, that he might like us, that we might earn that we might, by our willpower and our discipline, earn heaven. And, and just think about it. Like, picture in your mind, this is, picture in your mind, the infinite creator God of everything. He lacks nothing. You sit, you, you, you're either in his presence and you fall on his face because it's terrifying because he's so beautiful, good, and pure. That infinite creator God of everything, like, what are you going to give him? You have nothing of value. I'll give you attendance. I won't say potty words. Like, how ridiculous is that, right? But do you play that game? I play that game. Nicodemus played that game. And I don't know if you know this. You're not Jesus in this story. You and I, were Nicodemus in this story. Like, don't play the hero of like, I would side with Jesus if I was back then. No, we would be with them. We would be saying the exact same things. So we're in trouble and Nicodemus begins to feel this. Like God goes, I don't care if you've memorized the Torah. I don't care if you fast all the time. I don't care if you're at temple every Saturday. That doesn't give you access because you're guilty and you need to be born again. And then look at the next line. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water in the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So I think there's a couple things going on. Number one, he's addressing all the ritual rules of washing and baptizing that the Pharisees were taking part in. And he's going, you can dunk yourself in water all you want, but unless the spirit of God makes you clean and does something new in you, you're not gonna get there. I think on top of that, he's almost referencing Ezekiel 36. Let me just read these words over you, all right? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. 
and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. And so we need to be washed. We need to be made new. And not with human hands, right? Not with human hands, but with a, a new heart that God gives that gives new desires. Because he actually says, if, if you, that which is born of the flesh is... And that which is of the spirit is, that makes pure sense, right? So like if you were, you're born in the flesh, flesh and immediately you begin to crave fleshly things because you're of the flesh. So like when you were born, when you started to grow up, you're like, I want food, right? Now you just follow that along, how your flesh started to desire things. I want pleasure. I want sex. I want and then you just start filling in the things that our flesh starts to desire. And you don't even have to go to like these, these, these basic things. You can go like, I want people to love me. I want to be cool. Which is where middle school gets real awkward, right? Because you're like, you're not, but it's cool, like, right? And then I know we're laughing because we're like, that's such a middle school thing. That's an adult thing. I've met too many 40, 50, 60, and 70-year-olds that just want to flex, like, will you like me if I show you how much money I have? It's true. So the flesh begats, that's the New King James Version, gives off, gives birth to, is only going to lead to flesh. But that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit, well, is spirit. So when the Spirit of God awakens your eyes and opens up your eyes to see that you are sinful and you need to be born again. When that moment happens and you, it creates a new heart, then now all of a sudden, I want to know God. Then it's not about willpower at all. I'm in love. My desires have changed. My affections are different. My, the, way, the way that I fight these battles is not now, bunker down, Andrew, willpower this thing out. Now, there's disciplines in there. We, that's a whole different sermon. This is that you and I don't need another flow chart of how to spend time with God. You and I need the power of God to transform us. Give me a new heart, God. Give me a new heart. Because right now, if you are in Christ in this room, it says you're of the flesh and it's only going to lead to flesh. So you can put on as many outside Christian moral things you want, and it still will not change the internals. Christianity is an internal out religion, not an outward in. Does that make sense? But that which is born of the Spirit, I would say, longs for the spiritual things, hungers for the spiritual things, no longer looks at the fleshly things the same way, because we're born of the Spirit. Keep reading. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So my time is limited, but just picture you're there with Nicodemus and Jesus. They're having this conversation. Jesus is like, you're just not getting it, man. Like, come on, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is asking questions like, do I get back in my mom and come back out? And, like, and, and then all of a sudden, a wind blows. Like you feel it on your skin, like on Nicodemus's hair, and he's just like, it's like, it's like that. Jesus says, "It's like Nicodemus, tell me where the tell me where the wind came from. Where does the wind come from? 
And I know some of you in this room are like, well, it's from polar vortexes that are swirling. I, where'd that come from? Where'd that start? And so this is what, what, what Jesus is saying. Like, it's not about the wind. We need the Spirit of God to blow through us. We need something outside of us to rescue us. And so there's no magic formula with the wind, right? Like if you're like, wind, it doesn't work. Go out on Brookville Lake with a sailboat. If there's no wind, what are you doing? You're not sailing, I'll tell you that. Floating, maybe. Uh, but that's the idea. Jesus is like, unless, you don't know where the wind comes from. It's just like that with being born again. That The spirit of God blows through you and transforms you. And then you get the last words of Nicodemus in verse 9. He says, and Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? Like, I don't know if that was like, how can this be? How, how can you say that it's not about honoring the law and not spitting? And how can you say it's not about all the things that I've given my life to Jesus? Like, maybe it's that way or maybe it's like, how can this be, moron? I don't know. But that's the last time you hear him talk. And then Jesus says, Nicodemus said to him, how can this be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Now, I don't think Jesus is unnecessarily harsh. So once again, this could be like, how do you not understand these things? Or it could be with like almost tears and heart, like, like, oh my gosh, the leaders of my people don't know this. And so I would think he would probably say like, you have it memorized, all that stuff in Ezekiel, all that stuff in Isaiah, all that stuff in Jeremiah was about me. And truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you did not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And so Jesus says, hey, I've been trying to tell you, Nicodemus. I've been trying to explain it to you, this wind thing. All these, he's, he's kind of like begging Nicodemus to come along with him. And I think he realizes he's not going to get it. But he's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'm going to tell you some heavenly things. Let me explain it to you. So listen up, because this is Jesus telling us how to be born again. This is verse 13 and, and verse 14. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven. So he's talking about himself, and what is he saying? Where did Jesus come from? Heaven, right? So he's saying, step one, and you being born again, and you getting a new heart, is I came down. That this man, this Jesus, this God in the flesh, here I am to deal with what you can't deal with. Why? And why does this matter? Because all of us are a part of a fractured creation that is thoroughly sin-saturated. You ever try to clean a kid up that's got like, I watched Grace try to clean herself up trying to go to the potty the other day. It was a mess. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to go into detail, but like three-year-olds with poop on their hands don't make really clean messes. You know what I'm saying? It just is like, <laughs> Dad, I can't get it off. And I'm like, no, <laughs> and don't touch me, right? Right? So if you take... now. Boil that down to a sinful humanity trying to get the sin and, and the guilt and the shame off of them. It doesn't work. So here's Jesus come down from heaven who is not sinful, who is not a part of the broken system. And it says, let me rescue you out of it. Let me transform you out of it. Let me make you born again, make you new. 
all right? That's step one, the incarnation. And then step two, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What's he referencing there? The cross. So he says, number one, here I am, God in the flesh, out of sin. I'm not sinful. I'm, I'm perfect. I'm the Son of God. And I'm going to, now he references some weird, obscure Old Testament reference. I don't have time to explain it fully, but if you want to read it, go to Numbers 21 when you get home. Read all about it. Basically, the people of God disobeyed, and so God sent snakes. Did he say snakes? Snakes. Poisonous snakes. And they bit the people of God, and they were in anguish. And then God told Moses, out of favor and mercy, make this bronze snake and hold it up. And if they look at this snake in faith, they'll be healed and they'll be saved. So what did Moses do? That's the whole reference right there. Forget about the snakes. So must the Son of Man be lifted up. So, so must Jesus be lifted up, put on a cross, punished for my sin, to die for the sin that I have in me because he's God in the flesh. He came in the incarnation. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 20, 21, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And this, Jesus says, you want to know how to be born again? You want to know how the spirit is imparted? You want to know how I'm going to deal with you being born and made into something new? I'm going to die the death that you deserve. I'm going to raise to new life. And then I'm going to show you that I have the power to call you out of death into life spiritually. Be born again. So then look at this. We'll just, I got three more verses and then we're going to... Uh, verse 15, look at the result. That whoever believes in him may have eternal life. That whoever believes in Jesus, cries out to Jesus, looks to Jesus, will have eternal life. And then the verses that everyone has memorized and on their coffee mugs and every pencil ever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. But then look at the next line, which is 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So being born again, seeing the kingdom of God, he tells Nicodemus, and I'm telling you today, has little to do with your willpower, your dis discipline life, or anything about you at all. It has everything to do with what Jesus did. If he's powerful enough to die and raise again, he's powerful enough to put your sin to death. And he says, believe in me, and you'll have eternal life. That's how you're born again. And so what, here's the question. What do we do right now? Right now in this room. And this is what I think. I think you and I need to wrestle with the idea, have you been born again or not? Are you playing religion? Do you just enjoy church people? They're nice. They don't cuss. They're generous. Whatever. I think, you need to, I think you need to pray. I think you need to be in the Bible. I think you need to gather other people around you. And you need to go, have I been born of the Spirit? Or am I just playing around with external religion? And if the answer is, I think I'm just playing around, simply come to Jesus and go, Jesus, transform my heart. I want to be made new. Give me a new heart. That's it. Put your faith in Jesus. Come to Jesus. Follow Jesus. See the central theme of John, this church, everything I'm going to say to you for the next seven weeks, follow and be in love with Jesus. And so 
what I want to do is I just want to give room for the Holy Spirit to do just that. Some of you will get saved today, I hope. Of you hear the voice of God, and you go, God, make me new, and you will be born again. And then it won't be this dull judgment of like, oh, I can't, can't go to rated R movies, and I can't say this Chucky Dorn. Like, I, that's not following Jesus. Following Jesus is like this radical newness where I was like, I used to want that, but now I want to go do this. There's joy in it and lightness in it and beauty in it, all right? So what we're going to do is just make room. Uh, a couple members of the band are going to come up, and we're going to celebrate communion. Uh, and this is what I'll say. If you're not born again, if you're not a Christian, don't do this. It, there's no point to it. It's another external thing that if it's not in faith in Christ, won't do anything. We bought the bread. We bought the juice at Kroger, I assume. Super spiritual place, all right? Jesus actually set this up before he died on the cross. He said, when you gather in my name, do this in remembrance of me. So take the body, which is the bread, take the juice, which is the blood, and then dip the bread in the juice and eat it. Take it in and go, I belong to you, Jesus. I believe that you have made me new and I tie my life to you, all right? This is very much, I remember your body and blood broken on a cross. So maybe you're doing that in these next few minutes. On top of that, there's going to be two different groups praying for people. The first group's going to be the elders. They're going to be right underneath this cross over here. And you're like, why the elders? Well, in the book of James, it says that if anyone's sick, like if anyone has a need that they need God to supernaturally heal or move, come to the elders. They'll anoint you with oil, and they will pray prayers of healing and life over you. So maybe you came in, and you're like, I, I, I want to do communion, but I, I need prayer. They'll be right there. All you got to do is be like, pray for me, for this, or what? I don't care what it is. Uh, maybe you're another group, and you're like, hey, I want to be born again. Like, I want to be made new. And maybe you're not like a non-Christian. You're just a Christian that's like, I need God to do a work in my heart. We'll have our prayer teams over on this side, and they would love to pray over you. That God would do just that, break through some of the, Maybe some darkness has come over your life. Maybe you just can't see God. Maybe you're just feeling like he's being silent. I don't know. So let me pray. And then everybody in your own time, like you can take your time, come do communion. Remember the, the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Rejoice in it. This is not a somber meal, just so you know. This is like, woo! I belong to him. And then everybody else, so like if you have healing needs, the elders are going to pray for you. And I believe if we're honoring scripture and praying prayers of faith, we actually might, we'll see some things. And then everybody else, if you need prayer, just head over there, right? So Jesus, thanks so much for your word. Thank you that it's living and active. And so I pray just what we talked about, that new life would happen in this room this morning. That those who have never tasted and seen that you are good, that Holy Spirit, you would call them by name, remove the blinders, and salvation would ring out. There, there be, they would be born new again. For my brothers and sisters, God, they just feel stale. If you're like, man, this Jesus thing's hard, would you breathe life into them? Holy Spirit, breathe through them. Give them strength. Give them discernment. Give them power. Give them your joy. And so, Jesus, in these next few minutes, have your way again. Like, as we celebrate your broken body and blood poured out for us, as we get and receive prayer, as we ask for healing as elders, like, Jesus, just show off. You're so good. We look to you now. In Jesus' name, amen.
So when you come, if you just come down the middle to do communion and then kind of go out the outside so we're not bumping into each other, take your time. We're just going to worship, take communion, and pray.